of season two of Mastication Nation. I didn't forget to say it this time. Yeah, you did not. You, you did not. But I'm still waiting for you to come up with the, the podcast that blank, blank, The blank podcast ranks. that forgets to do at least one part of the title <laughs> in every episode of this season. Will, you sound silky smooth now. I know. I know. The audio, I, I apologize to your listeners. On the last episode, I felt like the audio was was cringeworthy on, on my side. Alex decided to bigwig me and uh, upgrade his, uh, his, his equipment without telling me. So he, uh, he's, he was sounding like, uh, like Howard Stern and I was sounding like some AM transistor, transistor radio in, in, in quality, not in content. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it sounds great. Um, we're also using a new platform. We're using new audio setup. So it feels like uh, we're, we're really pushing the boat out here. But yeah, no, it sounds, sounds great. And here we are, episode... Is episode, yes, it is episode four. It's, it's confusing four. because we're yeah. on C, but it's episode four because we had our sort of season intro episode. But anyway, here we are. We're back. It's And you know what, what's been good about this? Because of lockdown... We've been super on it with the scheduling, like yeah, like fortnightly, boom, yeah. boom, boom. And the 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 thing I I've I've realized is that we get a little uh, little laudit in uh, in Overcast, which is my podcast app of choice. That's that that says uh, I think it's twice weekly or fortnightly, or whatever. Like so, things like Fresh Air, it says daily, or as it was like in the past, whenever they feel like it, <laughs> and now it's like every two weeks. So that's great. But um, Belgium, you know, I went into the Belgium episode, our previous episode, thinking, mm, I don't think there's a whole lot to be excited about here. But actually, once we started researching and talking about it, there was a lot to it. There yeah, was a lot a, to it. As I said in the episode, Belgium is a place that doesn't make history for itself, but a lot of history happens there. I think it's a mm-hmm. little bit of an oversimplification, but... Um, you know, it being a relatively young country, being part of other countries, having some level of colonialism, the impact in the confectionery world, the beer world, and just general good bistro food. Like I kind of think, thinking back on that, it's good bistro food. I'm sure yeah. there's high-end stuff somewhere. I, had, yeah. I haven't been to Belgium in 20 years, so. it's What's been interesting about about Belgium is that Everybody that's reacted to the episode, either on a public forum like Twitter or just, you know, has messaged me privately and just said, yeah, Bel- 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 Belgium's fine. It's, it's fine. You know, it's not a it's not a divisive place. And I'm sure that we're going to come across some divisive foods and and even places. Who knows? But, yeah, everybody seems to be like, it's fine. It's fine. It's, yeah, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but we did ruffle some feathers with our conversation about Belgian beer. Yeah. Uh, Adam uh, Nowick, N-O-W-E-K, Adam Nowick, uh, at Adam Nowick on on Twitter, he said, uh, well, this episode was a disappointing series of opinions about Belgian beer. In case anyone wants to read up on Belgium's indigenous beer styles with a little less negativity, I wrote a good guide about lambics and tra- traffic styles. And then he, uh, he he's a, a writer over at expatica.com uh, and did a did an article on Belgian beers, lambics, trappists, and craft beers. Adam, not saying they're not good, just saying that they're just not our vibe. 
as somebody who's like you know not drinking alcohol at, at all, Alex, and somebody who is a big. No, we ain't talking about that. Oh God. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Alex is fault. Alex is drunk right now. Uh, um, but uh, you know, somebody who who only really likes uh, English style ales and hates IPAs and hates anything funky, we may not be the right audience. And I'm sure you're going to tell us that you can find those things. We're just talking about the stuff that like has been overly marketed and hipsterfied in in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. I... I think, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth pointing out that, Adam, I am not an adventurous beer drinker by any stretch of the imagination, and I think I think you were right to call us out. Um, and there are, you know, I don't think I, 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 I don't appreciate the craftsmanship that goes into Belgian beers. They're just not my jam, and I would be excited to, uh, to, to discover some new ones. We'll retweet if we haven't already. Adam's the link to Adam's article because it's it's very very good indeed. I'd never heard of Expatica and I kind of dig it. It's like, I don't know how I missed this one. It's like literally yeah yeah. And look, <laughs> like, as, we talk, as we talked about in the episode, like the idea of the the what makes a Trappist beer Trappist beer, as as he says in his article, it's less about Trappist beer being you know one style. It's it's multitude of different styles just has to hit these very specific. Uh, rules about being in a monastery and all this kind of stuff and that is all incredibly fascinating like you know the the wines that are being made in in, you know by monks in france and italy that's super interesting um complete tangent but one of the things i found in lockdown was uh it's a bit dated now i think it's like five or six years old now and it's the wine show uh i'm not sure what original english channel it was on but the first season is in uh, Italy, and what these these guys do, there's a wine expert, and then there are two very upper-class English, very famous actors who uh, spend the entire series going out there and being set, you know, uh, rules and adventures by the wine expert to go find the best representation of this region or that region. And the, the, the two actors are Reese... Oh God, I'm gonna figure his name. He's the main dude from Homeland that nobody realizes is American, uh, is British, or is Welsh technically. Uh, and then the other guy is the main actor from um, uh, A Discovery of Witches, and they're very, very funny and very erudite and very uh, engaging. And it's a great show. And then the second season is in France, and they're in sort of the uh, Provence area which we know very well and they do a whole thing on, on, on France and they do a whole th- episode on like going to, you know, wine uh, monasteries that do wine. And I found it fascinating. Anyway, if you can find it, I'm not sure what channel it was on in England, but in America, I think at least the first two seasons are on Hulu and, and, you know, it's called the wine show. Don't want to go on this too, too far, but one of the really, really interesting things is there's a guy who does sommelier on it, and he gets set that the task of going to China and being a sommelier there for a couple of days. And he can't do it because he's like, hey, this smells like a freshly cut you know, lawn. That doesn't exist in a lot of China. This tastes like, oh, this smells mm. like lilac. Well, what is the Chinese equivalent? So he has to relearn the root noses for a different audience that doesn't have this. And I found that really, fa- that really fascinating. Um, anyway, yes, go check out the, the beer article. Um, we apologize to <laughs> for who we offended. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great and well-written article. I'll check out the wine show too, but uh, I also want to thank um, Lorenzo FR, 
um, and, and Lorenzo FR underscore on Twitter said, great episode, although he, ha- he has to say, I'm guessing Lorenzo, you might be Swiss. Uh, the best chocolate and some also great beer is still from Switzerland. Now, I don't think anybody would dispute the fact that phenomenal chocolate comes from Switzerland. The best, I think your Belgium, Belgium and Switzerland are going to have to fight for that one. Name a, a single a, beer. Name a single was, Swiss did, beer. Yeah, you know, and I've been to Switzerland a lot. Um, my dear friend Paul Papa Dimitri, if you're listening, help. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm Lorenzo, sure they have gr- yeah. give us. A sh- I'm, yeah, I'm sure you've got perfectly serviceable beer. I just can't think of any right now. <laughs> let's let's leave it. <laughs> let's leave it at that. Um, but thank you guys again for for your generosity when it comes to feedback. We we listen to everything you say, uh, ignore most of it, uh, and just keep doing what we're doing. But thank you for taking the time to, to do that. Um, so it's been two weeks. What have you, we, I, I assume you haven't been anywhere. I certainly haven't been anywhere. Have you, have you, since lockdown, we've kind of, we haven't done the whole, what have you eaten? And we seem to be more doing, what have you cooked? Which actually mm-hmm. is a reasonably, uh, appropriate for the, for the conditions we all find ourselves in. Yeah, I, um, I I posted about this yesterday on Instagram, uh, March 6th, um, and it's been – I found that I've been missing good Mexican food, and, and yes, I've said this before, maybe there's good Mexican food in Denver. I haven't had the freedom to go out there and, like, you know, check out a lot of places. A lot of really good Mexican places are not places that you – I might feel comfortable going to during COVID times, so that places that are small and, you know, you know, you don't want to be around a lot of people. So I was feeling mm-hmm. the vibe and, and really went down a homemade taco kick. And I posted about that yesterday. Um, I did a uh, roast pork and homemade uh, pickled carrots and jalapenos, which was really, really good. Then for lunch, I because I had a bunch of tortillas lying around and all the fixings, so I just kept on going, going, going every lunch. Uh, I had a, 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 a random cut of lamb that I that I cooked up, and then did that with some uh, a really quick um, uh, mint and sour cream, which was really really good. A little bit of hot, really, I found some some. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, hot sauce from I was a Walmart of all places, but it's really good, like Mexican hot sauce. Oh yeah, you sent me a picture that looked great. And then yesterday for lunch, I had some shrimp in the freezer. Threw that in with some some tomatoes, some peppers. Made a quick, really quick uh, roja salsa, and then finished it with some from some fried onions. And that sort of has satiated me for my taco binge for a little bit. And I, I kind of feel okay again. The weather's getting being a little bit better. We're not under ten feet of snow, so mm. it felt appropriate to do uh, shrimp tacos. How about yourself? I you know what I again I've been through this barren wasteland of inspiration and haven't haven't found the right groove although i went to go pick up some furniture from uh an ikea like 45 minutes away from my house and i was with my my daughter my three-year-old and i was like hey Junebug, let's let's go across the street and grab a slice of pizza from costco because it's right across the street it'll be funny their pizza is pretty good several hundred dollars later <laughs> we emerged <laughs> from costco with a bunch of things I, I, I didn't need. But one of the things I did, did not know I needed, but now I absolutely need in my life, were these pre-packaged, pre-made naan bread. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and usually those things are not good. 
they're um, stale. They break when you fold them. Brittle. They don't retain their any uh, brittle. Yeah, they don't retain any el- el- elasticity of a freshly baked man. So my expectations were low, but there was Costco. It was it was cheap, and I thought you know Costco, especially in this country, caters to the to the sort of quasi restaurant community, mm-hmm. and a lot of what they produce in terms of raw materials and in supplies is restaurant grade. So I thought you know what, the the I'm going to take a punt on these. And I, Greg and I had been talking about the, um, the Dishoom Bacon Nan after Rob Hinchcliffe got in touch last episode to tell us about the delivery one he had. And and Greg and I had been talking about it. I thought, you know what? Why not? I'll make these. So, uh, last weekend I, I did, I, I popped these Nan in the oven for two to three minutes covered in water per the instructions. And I made the Nan, which has got, um, Cream cheese, bacon, like a chili jam, which I picked up at the store, um, and coriander. And they were so good. They were so good. They were like something you'd get uh, freshly made from an Indian store. The brand was called was Santosh, S-A-N-T-O-S-H. And I was like, where are these from? Are they, are they, are they UK, maybe, maybe Germany or France? Canada. Hmm. They'd come from, or I thought maybe they could have come from India, but they they were from Canada. And uh, I looked online, and they're they're a huge company with lots of, uh, so you know, products from the subcontinent. They were so good, and that like my kids wanted them as you know in their pack lunches for school. So I, that was a great discovery. And then being able to to smash out a a, a reasonable facsimile of the of the dishoom bacon nan was in intensely satisfying weekend morning project so that was a, a very easy home run two que- uh, two things one is it are you using english style bacon or like american style bacon uh in this instance it was more on the american side i made um breakfast sandwiches with with english muffins and eggs and and did this morning and that was english style bacon Mm, I actually had English style bacon for breakfast this morning. Our father sent me a care package of uh, for Christmas of um, English sausage and uh, an English back bacon um, from the the guy is in America. He's in the Midwest somewhere, um, but he's originally from the West Country, the Dorset area. Uh, and so he and Dad had a long chat about uh, that neck of the world where our dad is originally from. Um, and so I still have a lot of that stuff in the freezer. And so periodically on the weekends, I break out the uh, classic English, you know, Sani. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention was we've been doing curry like you know week weekday curry quite a lot recently because i've recently found a uh an in, in, in a jar sima sauce which you know so i know it's taking a shortcut but sometimes you want to um and yeah. you know you get all the like companies that you heard of and like there's an american ones that are just not very good but i found this one at whole foods and you can get it in a few different places and it's called brooklyn deli but it's spelled mm-hmm. As in the city, rather than like Delhi, as in American New York Delhi, um, oh. and it is really, really good. And on the back, I've been following this rule every time. It's like, look, you can you can make your simmer sauce, you know, cook your chicken, whatever you're gonna do with it, and then it's like, you know, okay, you could put a little bit of water in this, and it would make it good. But the best thing to do is throw in an entire cup of coconut milk, and almost like, okay, I'll do that, and it makes it just like that one little change changes like the quick weekday curry exponentially so if you can find them it's called brooklyn deli uh on i think they're on amazon as well 
those I think pastes are the way to go for anything like a curry. I mean, when you make a curry, you're doing that anyway with your mm-hmm. raw materials. You're making a paste first, and you're you're heating them to release what's wonderful about them, and then you layer on the ingredients. And some of the paste you can get here, essentially the same process. I do a. I have from the Spice House, uh, who I mentioned so much they should sponsor us. Um, I have a million different spices from there, and I make my own tandoor spice mix um, from all the different spices. And I marinate the chicken before I like. Then I sear that chicken. Then I throw all the sauces in. So it's got like levels of flavor, and not just a classic mm-hmm. sear the chicken and throw the sauce on. Nice, nice. Well. I think that that's what I would love to know from from you guys out in the world is what what have you been cooking, not what have you eaten when you've been out and about. What are you cooking? What's getting you through this? My friend Cian um, Cianw on Twitter, ha- constantly posting the most extraordinary pictures on Instagram of the stuff that he creates. The dude is a bona fide chef, uh, or at least he's he's like you, Will, and he's just constantly experimenting. Cobus, my friend in South Africa. I keep telling him he needs to write a cookbook because the stuff he smashes out is breathtaking mm. and laborious. You know, I, you know, I, I, I'm inspired by him constantly. But let us know what you're eating. Yeah, and not to get like, not to get like, um, sort of who's doing it better. But I'm really interested, like, who can get what during your own country's lockdowns? Because some people, yeah. like, are you still really struggling to find X ingredient or Y ingredient, like? I know that that South Africa has gone went, went a very different route than Europe, and then um, the U.S. is state by state. And I can go to any any store I want is open, but with rules. As opposed to in England, I know that only the essential stores are open. So interesting yeah, to see what you can and can't do. Agreed. It would be very interesting to hear. And a lot of you know what can you get delivered versus what can't. What you know the thing that that, that has emerged here is a lot of the local produce stuff, and um, that that that's fine. But we live in a country that's not. You know, you, you don't. Very, it's very seasonal what you can get. So, yep. and that's fine. That is what it is. But uh, no, let us know what you're what you're what you're cooking, uh, and also, will what you're drinking on this <laughs> Sunday Sunday. So it sounds like we've inverted a little bit here. Um, mm-hmm. I am kicking it old, old, incredibly old school right now, and drinking some orange soda. That is old school. Yeah. Will from the ages of about two and a half to twelve had a permanent orange soda mustache <laughs> yeah i was never into, i was never into coke i was never into root beer like i mean i, I, I had this weird memory of andrew being absolutely obsessed with mug um mug and a and w i'm not sure which one he liked most but a brother andrew was really into root beer and you were into like diet a and w i can't remember which one you were into yeah i like i still do diet a and w diet dr pepper but i remember because growing up in 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 southeast asia the orange sodas you got were that color you know that was unknown to unknown to science, science and it would you know stay in your lip for for a week as alex mentioned and when i moved to england you got an orange soda and it'd be like orangina and i was like gross um which i learned to then like um or you'd have stuff like fanta or um i forget the other ones but they were never that sort of cartoon orange um which is what i'm drinking right now for some weird reason i was like oh i saw it at the store grabbed it it's yeah, uh it it's sun-kissed and uh yeah it tastes like chemicals sometimes you just jones for a very specific thing and there's a little bit of nostalgia there right that's I mean, exactly that's... what it is that's exactly what it is my wife and can't stand it she's a gross but like yeah. i i enjoy it what about yourself so we've inverted what are you drinking 
Well, I, I so we should talk about what we're doing first. C, C, C is a difficult one, and we talked lo- a lot about this. We could have done Canada. We could have done Colombia. We could have done China, Cuba, mm-hmm. Cameroon. But there was one that I, a place that I think we immediately thought was was deserving of an episode that is kind of famous and beloved by anybody that's been there. Um, so we are doing uh, this episode on Croydon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Camden Market. <laughs> yeah. No, we're doing, we're doing Croydon. That place is... Anyway. Uh, I'm sure it's lovely. We are doing it on Croatia, which uh, for the next 40 minutes, we'll tell you why this is such a fascinating place to, to eat and drink. But I am drinking... A bottle, uh, not the whole bottle, but uh, something called Italicus. Italicus. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. It is not Croatian, but I was I introduced to it in Zagreb when we were filming there, and we went to uh, we had we spent a day with Mata Jankovic, who is a wonderful chef in in Croatia, a very famous guy. He's a judge on Croatian Master Chef. He. Uh, Spent nine days traveling with Anthony Bourdain for a No Reservations episode. And he was like, you know, guys, go to this bar and talk to these guys. They're doing really amazing stuff with with, with local food. And we went and they said, have you guys had Italicus? And Greg and I had not. And it's, it's an Italian aperitif that was reintroduced after centuries of kind of isolation. It was reintroduced about, f- about four years ago. And it's a... Like I said, an aperitif, it's 20%, and it's bergamot-flavored. What's funny was, like, we were talking about this. We were, for some reason, my wife and I were going on about candles and what call it, what good things you get into a lockdown. Like, who makes good quality candles that don't just smell like, you know, fact, you know, a sweet shop factory or uh, and last a long time? And there are some good ones that have bergamot, and I really like bergamot. And Kate was like, what is bergamot? And then she looked at mm-hmm. us like, holy crap, it's a citrus fruit. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a mini lime. It's, it smells, I mean, it's very citrusy. It's very perfumey, but not overwhelmingly so. You're supposed to drink it super cold. You can drink it like, like wine. Like I said, it's 20%. The most common application of it is 50 50 with Prosecco over ice. Uh, or what I'm doing, which is 50-50 with either tonic water or soda water, again, over lots and lots of ice, that makes, Greg tells me, I asked him this afternoon, um, uh, that it makes an outstanding Negroni. Interesting. Like, a, and one you could drink all day because it's not as strong as gin. But no. in, this, in the Zagreb episode, you guys have a, a, a spritz uh, fairly on, early on in the, in the food section. Yes. Was that with, was that with a, ta- a, a Croatian wine or with that? It stuff? was with Croatian white wine. Yes. And Croatia does excellent white wine. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what they're famous for. So, um, yeah, they, they, they call it a, a Croatian cocktail, the, the white wine spritz. So that was lovely. But Croatia, I have been to, to, to various parts of Croatia. It's one of those places that um, people say, yeah, I want to go to Croatia, I want to go to Croatia. And then they hum and haw and then they go and they love it because there's really something for everybody. It's a, it's a very, very interesting country. I think that it's definitely had a vogue in the last 20 years or so. I think back in the early uh, aughts or like 2007, 8, 9, 10, whatever it was. Um, Lonely Planet had it as like the most desirable location for people that knew to go to. Um, I think that 
Game of Thrones had a massive impact on a lot of maybe Americans wanting to go there. Uh, Westeros is all a large part of Westeros is filmed in in Dubrovnik um, and Split, which we'll get onto in a little bit. Um, but those are the kind of immediate images that I think people associate with with Croatia. Uh, it's somewhere that is not all coastline. Although technically, it's like 125th on total landmass, but in the top 20 on coastline because of all the indentations and uh, and islands. So it really sort of is one of those anomalies. Yes, it has a massive maritime uh, pass. But I was talking to a friend of mine who spent a lot of time there for uh, for a friend's wedding, who was originally from Croatia. He said he kind of joked that if you asked the average American where where Croatia is, they'd probably put it somewhere in like the far Balkans, they're, you know, really, really, really far east of, of Europe. And no one really re- realizes until you still like, unless you know your cartography, it's right next to Italy. It's the, the Adriatic is yeah. right there. And it's like, it makes so much sense that it has so much of the Mediterranean influences, as well as what we'll get onto in a second, the uh, fascinating history it had to the west and the east of it to make this weird sort of country principality warring state (laughs) i guess yeah it's it's in a perfect location it it doesn't you know it's across the you know this the adriatic from from italy it shares a border with slovenia uh and and bosnia and a little tiny little peninsula with montenegro Mm -hmm. so it's got all of these influences austro-hungarian uh even a little bit of french when it comes to comes to food but on its doorstep it has the adriatic uh, which is such a bountiful source of of all things seafood. It takes a lot of influence from from Italy. The best Italian food I've ever had was in Croatia. Wow, uh, that's quite and, a statement. You know, yeah, and I've and I've spent plenty of time in Italy, but this was just incredible. It was in Opatia, which is in the very very north of the country, and in, in uh, near near Rijeka, and. I was with a friend of mine, Daniel Daniel Burka, um, and he had hired a guide because he'd been all over Croatia and driven all around Eastern Europe. And this guy's like, I know a spot. And at like six o'clock at night, we went up to like this crazy footpath, and you know, you needed to really watch where you're going to this tiny three or four table restaurant, and we were served the most mind blowing collection of pastas that I've ever had in my life, and. It wasn't like a Croatian twist on Italian food. It was straight sort of Italian rich, food. creamy pastas, seafood pastas, Italian food. Yeah, uh, and it was it was the best. And he said, "Look, we we that's Italy over there. You can see it. So we've taken the best of what they provide us and used what we're good at, which is growing produce and 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 seafood to an extent, uh, and dairy, and created created this this uh, made it our own really." Yeah, I think we should back up a little bit and, and sort of break down because it, it will become apparent on the influences. Uh, the four historical regions of Croatia, um, you have Croatia proper, which is such a slam to everybody else, which is, you know, a region. You're where the proper Croatia, you're the rest of you are. Yeah. But um, that's where Zagreb is. And it's in the it's in the north, but not as as far north as Istra, which if you were to look on a map, it looks like uh 
it's this peninsula that looks like almost like a shark's tooth, and it's directly across the water from um, from Venice. Um, and then you've got uh, Dalmatia, which yes, that is where Dalmatians come from, and that is the southern part, which where split Dubrovnik. Um, it's sort of the maritime powerhouse of the of the region. And then you've got um, Slav- Slavonia, uh, which is the eastern inland area that borders with more of the um, with your Hungarys, with your with your uh, more Balkan states. And the reason I bring this up is because. As I think a lot of people think, oh, Croatia, seafood, seafood. Each one of those has hyper-regionalized, uh, you know, culinary influences and traditions. Given the fact that they are, you know, bordering different areas and have different microclimates and and broad climates as well. And so, you know, somewhere like Dalmatia, that's the argument. There is is you know the most famous son being Marco Polo. Everyone says, no, he's Venetian. No, he's Dalmatian. And you know the fact that it's so mm. blurry, I think, lends itself to the influence of the Italian or the Venetian uh, world at that time into into the Adriatic, um, which I find fascinating. Yeah. So again, this country is, and 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 they're they're totally open to that. Knowing that as an independent country, there is very, very young. It was part of Yugoslavia until 1991, which in and of itself was this amorphous entity for centuries. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't they don't reject one influence more than the other, as we'll get on to. You'll see, you know, influences from a far field as Turkey. You know, and again, you know, as you say, with Marco Polo's influence, that you know, he sprinkled things along the way mm-hmm. uh, that he he discovered and and um, there's the old was an enthusiast uh, old, for. There's the old wives' tale that Marco Polo brought pasta to Italy, which has mm-hmm. been completely refuted. But it's it's interesting the fact that you know he went to China and and brought back all these these ideas and learnings from from the Silk Road that. It, it, it you know, makes sense that you would have had some of the best Italian food you ever had in, in Croatia. And to what you were saying earlier, like we're talking about Italy, but the flag itself, the, the red, white, and blue, is a throwback to the uh, pan-Slavism movement of the early ni- uh, 1900s, which shows they had massive ties to the Slavic world, which they still do. And you'll get into some of the foods where you're like, okay, this is something that we consider – ours but not uniquely ours like this is from the the balkans or this is from hungary or this is the ottoman empire uh, hangover and they've never been one to be say this is uniquely ours and we stand defiant to everybody else in the region because they couldn't because it was a pass-through for everywhere even if like even if you think about it as in like um everything coming across land would come to a split or a dubrovnik or you know any other of the coastal towns all those influence had to like stop there before going off into the rest of the Mediterranean. And that's why it is such a fascinating country. I've never been. Like, so Alex has been and done a whole episode on it, and I'm sure it's been more than, than the filming, because obviously, why would you have gone if you hadn't been fascinating, fascinated by it before? Yeah. But I, it's somewhere that I was absolutely... I remember when we did the short-lived Trip Hunter uh, website, and, yeah. and we were talking about, like, what is a variation on... Um, okay, you want to go skiing, the Alps are too expensive, go check out Montenegro um, or Slovenia. And it was like, if you want a, a coastal Mediterranean vacation, but the 
you know, Costa del Sol is too white trash or, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the Riviera is too expensive. Go check sure. out Croatia. And this was, this was 50, 10 years, 10, 12 years ago we were talking about that. And it was still an unexplored gem back then. So I'm fascinated. I really want to go. Yeah, and there's it, it has so much going on. I mean, Zagreb is, is very far inland, but the, the selling point, or at least the initial magnetism of Croatia is its coast, which is hundreds yeah. and hundreds and hundreds of miles long. But what's what's interesting is you, know, you talk about those four regions and you look at you know Dalmatia, which is most of the southern coastal know, spike, region. if you will, coastal region. And that is where all this fish comes from, this, all, this, this wonderful fish. And while we were there, we had uh, red mullet, anchovies, shrimp, sprat, just like this huge... And you're picking it up with your fingers, and it was all like it was all in the water earlier mm-hmm. that day, you know, and just delicious, either fried or grilled from the market, which was next door to the restaurant in Dolek Market and Dolek Square in, in Salt Grab. It's it's the the waters there are just teeming with it. the The challenge for them is that um, there's there's fishing rights issues, there's climate change issues, and so they've seen a very they've seen their their fishing market decimated but it does produce some world-class seafood i'd be interested to know if uh croatia you know what the what the coastal life expense expectancies are is it influenced enough to be one of the blue zones given the fact that they're massively into olive oil and and uh oily oily mediterranean fish, fish. um yeah. yeah so it'd be interesting to know because obviously i know that the Yugoslavian throwback. Uh, any country that was sort of under Yugoslavia doesn't have the greatest uh, right now. Like, I mean, obviously, a lot of the countries have, have you know uh, developed on their own and become highly independent and successful. But a lot of the, the yeah. sort of throwbacks of the older generation, not the best healthcare back then. Uh, so I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like, "What? Why is the 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 city of Split stuck in my mind? And I've never been. Don't know much about it." But I have this this visual, very vivid image of like this, you know, very much like Dubrovnik, uh, water running up against, you know, Mediterranean fortification yep. walls, all this kind of stuff, and flags everywhere, and everyone chanting. And what it was is Goran Ivanisevic, I can never say his last name, when he when he won Wimbledon after so many years of trying, when I was like 15 years old. That was my first part time I'd ever associated somebody with Croatia. And there was video of mm. him being given like the hero's welcome of being like, you know, the country had only been independent for a certain amount of time at that point. And this being the greatest moment in Croatian independent sport history. And that always yeah. stuck with me. And I was like, I want to go to Split. I don't know nothing about it, but it looks like they have a good time there. It's, it's cool that you say that because uh, that happened very shortly after Croatia became an independent country. So it was just with the tonic that they needed. He won and, it in 2001, if I remember correctly. He won Yeah, so, in 2001. so, so ten, ten, just 10 years old the country was. Yeah. But we, when we filmed our Zagreb episode, we were there during the Euro mm-hmm. uh, football tournament. And, of course, Croatia did fantastically no, the well. World Cup. Oh, it was the World Cup? Yeah, I was in L.A. It was the World Cup. And I watched, I watched that game in a bar, and we were all quasi cheering for Croatia, I guess, maybe. Well, we were, were, I mean, we were there. They set up this huge screen in the the central square in Zagreb, and they put the games on, and there was just the most wonderful atmosphere, and you just felt like 
you know, you were an honorary Croatian for the day. And there was, again, because there's, you know, they, they A, are good, you know. Very good, yeah. <laughs> very good team. Um, and and B, there was this, you know, this, this sense of success and, and, and camaraderie. And that was, so that was really, really fun. And, you know, it's it's just up the road from where all, we had all this, this incredible food. But the one, the and I'm so glad that you included this in the notes is, you know, with this, with the influences that we that we talked about from, you know, the greater Mediterranean region, and I'd be also interested to know about life expectancy. You know, the, the Ottoman Empire, uh, the the distant Balkan Balkans, Italy and France, their dish that everybody said you got to go and eat <laughs> was this thing called st- strukli. Yeah. Which you filmed yourself doing in in the episode, and it looked not terrible. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it was it was good stuff. And we just happened to be staying at the at the at a hotel that is famous for their strukli. And strukli is it's a it's a savory dish, famous in the Zagreb region, which is basically dough and filling, which is then either boiled or baked. It sounds foul, but it's cottage cheese eggs sour cream salt and then it's almost like a, like a little mini lasagna yeah so it looked like it was in a, of, in a ramekin when it was served in a, yeah in a sort of yeah in a, in, a, in a slightly bigger ramekin and then you bake it for 45 minutes so the cheese is all bubbly and it sounds like uh you need to take a nap after you eat it and you do wait wait, but wait, wait. Is, hold, hold on I'm just, uh, I'm just reading your, your note here and i just got really excited because I, I read ahead Sorry, I apologize. I just I just saw the the Greg thing in here, and I was like, "Did that really happen?" Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so I'll tell you that story in a second. But okay. Um, Strukli is served to you a thousand degrees. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe I don't know. Basically, the surface of the of the sun temperature. But it's 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 creamy. It's cheesy. It's hot. It's salty. It's like total comfort food. In the middle and, of July or whenever you were there. We were there in June, and actually, it was fine. It was still delicious and and savory and satisfying, and it's it's very very similar to a Slovenian dish with the same name. Mm-hmm. So it just shows you this sort of this this read. I mean, Slovenia and 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 Croatia are neighbors, so you can you can see how those things sort of uh, went back and forth. But it's it's a it's a it's a national dish that's recorded as what are the intangible cultural heritage. Um, Which I think is a really, really, I, like, rather than having it like, this is our demarcation kind of thing, I like that Croatia's Ministry of Culture calls it an intangible cultural heritage. Because it's like, mm. we can't quite put our finger on it, but like, we all know it's something we all enjoy. That word yeah, intangible. That we identify really feels, with. Yeah. I, I like that. I think that that's true. <laughs> so... <laughs> We were staying at the Hotel Esplanade, which is a grand old hotel in Zagreb. Very, very Grand Budapest hotel. Um, has a dark-ish history um, in World War II. Not the fault of the hotel, just what it was used for. And Greg was outside uh, filming something. And I walk in to talk to um, the the staff there about filming this, this Strukli piece. And I was like, that's a very strange looking man sitting in the lobby. Uh, immaculately dressed, very skinny. And I was like, I think I know who that is. I'm like, Greg, you like Nick Cave, right? He's like, uh, yeah, love him. And I was like, he's he's sitting in the lobby. He's like, 
No, he's not. I'm like, yes, in the lobby. I'm, I'm, I'm 90% sure. He kind of goes up to the window and turns around and he's like, oh my gosh. I'm like, well, go and say hi. This is, you, you love him. And he's like, oh no, I couldn't possibly. And I was like, come on, Greg. And he, Nick Cave and his entourage. Greg will be able to tell you who the other person who, who is just as famous as Nick Cave was. I'm not. This was is it not a musician or was it a. It was a musician producer type. Oh, okay. Um, and. And and as he's walking out, we walk in, and Greg walks up to him and and says something, um, you know, respectful and at, you know just appreciative. And uh, I think he got a, a handshake and a thanks very much. And Greg came back, and I think I think he weed himself a little bit. But I it was, freaking uh, love Nick Cave. I, I, well, there you I go. so we Greg were, has met him. We were Greg and I were at a concert. Um, in San Francisco a couple of years ago, and uh, we were waiting in sort of the upstairs bar area, and there was a, a Nick Cave poster because he'd played there. And, like, I remember taking a photo of it. But um, if you've never seen the movie that he did the music for with John Hillcott, which is called The Proposition, it's not a Western technically because it's all filmed in the Australian outback in the, the you know, sort of outback uh, lawman days. It is, for me, of the genre, the best Western that's been made in the last 25, 30 years. Um, it is absolutely stunning, and he did all the music for it and actually uh, co-wrote it with John Hillcutt, who did uh, The Road. Um, so Warren stunning. Ellis. It was Warren Ellis was the other person. Oh, that's his co his co person that he does does a lot yeah. of this with. So Warren, Warren Ellis and yeah, yeah go watch guy. go watch the proposition. It's absolutely absolutely incredible. Well, there you go. So yeah, our, our brush with fame in uh, in the hotel Esplanade in Zagreb after eating some shukli. Uh, <laughs> so the thing about Croatian food I've found, and regionally when you start to go east from the Adriatic. As you will see, so you've got the wonderful fresh fish. Croatia has phenomenal dairy, as um, Mate Jankovic uh, told us about. Who again, mm-hmm. such a great guy. I have unlimited time for for Mate. Um, is that it? It's it's quite um, heavy, and we met him and spent all morning wandering around um, Dolek Market, which is the square in the middle of Zagreb with a farmers market every day. Fresh produce. He says he goes there when he needs inspiration. Mm-hmm. And it's a true showcase for what Croatia produces um, in raw materials. In and under underneath it is a uh, is a is a meat market. Uh, so meat, dairy. Um, there's a fish market in there as well. So we'd gone through all that. It was really super super interesting. Tried a bunch of stuff. He's like, okay, guys, come come in. There's one thing you got to try. Um, and okay great you know he's never gonna lead us lead us astray and we go to this place on the back side of the market which is this sort of patio with about six or seven different rest, uh, restaurants and we go in there and he's like this is this is called borek and it's a it's a it's from turkey it's a very turkish influence and it's basically um thin pastry like phyllo pastry almost mm-hmm. uh with cottage cheese in it which um, on the surface of it sounds like very very similar but in a handheld pocket of what you had before the shukli yeah yeah exactly and that's sort of what i what i said in the uh in the episode is it's not a million miles away from from strukli and it's there's a million different varieties of it but it's it's basically you you know it's a, it's a product of the ottoman empire so you can find it as far away as north africa 
all the way through the Balkans, a lot of Slavic countries. It's part of Sephardic Jewish cuisine. So there's it's it's traveled as so much of Ottoman uh, cuisine did. But <laughs> Greg described it afterwards as curdled breast milk in filo pastry. It was super salt, and you drink it with a with a Greek yogurt. Like you get a little little packet. That's how you do it. I'm not I'm not a big yogurt guy myself, and so it was dairy on dairy. It's super heavy and and um, greasy, and I can imagine if that if you know cottage cheese was your jam, it would be great. It didn't hit the spot for me. Greg and I have talked about it ever since. Although, when I did mention to him earlier today, hey, we're doing Croatia, and of course we're going to talk about Boric, and he's like, oh, it still gives me nightmares. He did say that he found a place in uh, in Hackney Church, believe it, by Hackney Church, if you know that area well. A little pavilion-style Turkish place. He said that they made it with feta instead of... Um, cottage cheese, and he said it was divine. So it's 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 this this variance that you get, and there's Albanian, Armenian, Bulgarian, mm-hmm. Greek, Israeli, Bosnian, Serbian, Slovenian, Romanian, Moldovan. They all, and they're very different. Some have mushrooms, some have um, um, uh, Meats, sesame seeds, stewed vegetables, meat. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 more like a like almost like saying a pizza. Yeah, and then, well, I was going to say it's more like um, a pasty. A pasty, yeah. Yeah, uh, but it's it's a very it's a very Croatian thing, Variation, um, and a, yeah. it's comfort food. But it is ostensibly Ottoman. It's it's Turkish, and I think that there's a lot of that in in and around the Adriatic uh, area. Yeah, and whatever the episode, I think it was X or whatever the episode that Greg sat in for me when you guys were in Queens because of the lost uh, Toronto episode, you guys rehashed you know the best and the worst, and that was definitely Greg's least favorite thing. Um, he didn't pull a will, but like you know he uh, he struggled to keep it down as far as I as far as I could infer from the episode. Yeah, it 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 just it wasn't terrible. It was just and it wasn't my my jam and i think it was because we'd eaten other stuff throughout the morning and uh, it just it was more you know on the day so curdled breast milk <laughs> that's about as close as you got but yeah so that, not my favorite thing but i think you know you can go all around that region and beyond north africa and i would be very interested to try like the feta variant sounds divine yeah and and those two things, I mean, we talked about the fish, we talked about the Italian influences there, and these two last things really summarize the the more hefty farmer inland, uh, you know, influences, and, and that is very indicative of the cuisine as well. The one other thing, one of the other ones I, I came across was the Jota Istrian stew, so Jota is the name of the dish, but Istrian stew is like another name for it, obviously from, from the, that region, and it's made with dried beans. Uh, sauerkraut or sour turnips, turnips, uh, potatoes, bacon,s and spare ribs, and that like sounds, sounds like amazing. It sounds really, really good, almost like a goulash, kinda um, without the paprika. But it, it comes from that Austro-Hungarian influence, sort of peasant food, which you usually don't. When when you're by the sea, you don't really need to do that very often because you can always just there's always bounty in the sea. This is stuff to get you through those those more inland winters, and that's where you can sort of see the influences of the of the more Slovenian influences and and sort of making things last through the through the harsher off seasons as well. Uh, I haven't 
tried it, but I've seen that be a variation in a couple of the other neighboring states as well. And then the last one um, that a lot of Croatians said were, you know, their their favorite sort of late night snack. And our friend Astro, who spent a lot of time there, said he drank a lot of Croatian beer and a lot of grilled meats, um, was Shavapi, which is kind of like kofta kebabs. It's like uh, minced meats reformed and then grilled and then put with like pita or and you know onions and all that fun stuff. And it's the national dish of uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, um, and it's everywhere like the research i was doing like every single neighboring state had their own version of this basically grilled beef or lamb mix put you know put into some bread and it's like your classic on the go i'm slightly too drunk hungover or whatever it may be food that everyone has an opinion on and no one dislikes uh, but mm-hmm. that sort of shows that turkish influence again the ottoman influence again things cooked on spits or on uh over hot coals so it really is interesting that all of those sort of meld together well. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that that's what's so fantastic about that that region, but exemplified by Croatia, which with its Italian connection, is that, that melting pot. And it's a little bit like Toronto that we talked about, where it's mm-hmm. like there's some, something, some things remain, you know, canon, um, but others are, are just, you know, that's a, that's a handy ingredient that will take, you know, will add to this, you know, this otherwise Slovenian dish and, and make it our own. What, <laughs> the first time I ever went to Croatia, what, I went to Opatia, like I said, and I was at breakfast and they had all this, you know, this great stuff. And then they had this like cherry cake, like cherry strudel mm-hmm. type of thing. And I was like, come on, guys, you know, cake for breakfast. Don't you think that's a little bit over the... Uh, well, this is the greatest country in the world. It was absolutely delicious, and it's this sour cherry cake that they that or, or strudel. So there's a, there's a cherry strudel, which is uh, like a Christmas type thing, and then there's this this cake uh, as well, which is which is available. Croatian cherries are are just wonderful. But I I I like that country so much. I love their food. It's the sort of combination of all of the things that are are great about you know. Europe in that regard, coastal Europe, uh, as and you know, the, the the freshness, but the innovation and the availability of great produce because their weather's good. I I'm just mm. such a fan of that of that country. So when you were in Croatia, whether you were filming or just on vacation, and you were out on the lash, uh, what were you what were you drinking? Besides the cocktail, uh, the Croatian cocktail, primarily beer. Yeah, I was actually doing some research on this, and wine was what the majority of people were drinking up until uh, like maybe 35 years ago. Uh, and then beer came in, and it's really sort of dominating the uh, you know the, the the culture. But did you have any of their national dish, which again is the national dish of like oh, sorry national drink, again the national drink of like 18 other countries in the in the region. I don't know if I did. Okay, so it's called rakia, and you think, oh, yeah, I know that, but it's spelt with a J. 
and it is a fruit-based brandy like all the other variations of this so it's extremely common you've got rocky you got ouzo you got Iraq, which you know is all from lebanon you've got you know ouzo which is from greece and, and so it's a fermented um yeah yeah yeah, not, yeah exactly but like i don't like ouzo either um there's variations in it but it is a it is a fermented brandy that a lot of people do at home and it's often aperitif very sort of cultural significance you you know toast with it that's the drink of choice and even within uh croatia they have so many different variations of it based on what was available to them so in dubrovnik it is most commonly uh flavored with an uh, with anise which that must be interesting. Uh, in central Dalmatia, it that is with, good. with walnuts. And whenever I think of walnut you know, fl- smells and flavors, all I can think of is Austin Powers when the Will Ferrell character falls and he's like, I'm very badly hurt. My uh, my wound is starting to smell like, <laughs> like walnuts. Or is it? I think so what he says. Um, and then in Istria, it's 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 honey and or mistletoe. In Istria, is the most northern part. Uh, I don't even know what mistletoe tastes like, so that's a weird one. I don't know. I was just thinking of that. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. And then uh, the interior, which is uh, Slovitsits, uh, which is the most common variation, and it's flavored with with plums. Uh, Astro was telling me that they got pretty wrecked on some of that stuff as well. Um, but I'm not. I like brandy. Um, I'm not sure. I would try it. I'm sure it's great in cocktails, but as long as it, if it's served cold, I'm sure I'd like it. If it's one of those things that's served warm or at room temperature, it's it's not my jam. But it does have a, a, a EU protected geographic indication, which is far less fun than a was it an inference or a you know an undeniable yes. and intangible. Yeah, 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 <laughs> intangible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think this is a, just thinking about this quickly the the Dubrovnik version sounds like it would just taste like pastis. Yes. That. Yes, which is you I know some people drink it as a digestif or a aperitif and, and and it's mixed in cocktails but that's quite a quite a strong flavor. Well, that's what um Arak is. Arak is grapes and aniseed. Uh, as well, and Arak, I remember you can go to some places in the Middle East, and you would, you could find it served out of jerry cans on the side of the road. And our father going, yeah, I, if you drink that, you'll probably go blind. But, it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but it's yeah, it's you know, it's like it's like ouzo pastis, sambuca, that type of thing. It's which that, one is the dried? Flavor. Which was the fermented dried grapes? Is that ouzo or? Or Raki, I can't remember. One of them is uh, is not just fermented grape brandy; it's dried grapes, so it gives a more, you know, tan not tanniny, but like, but that 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 sensation when it feels like it's stripping the moisture off your tongue. Um, yeah, I'm sure, there's um, a wine term for it. Arak is is fermented is fermented grapes. Mm. Um, I don't know if they're dried though. Um, Raki is is the is the one that's the is twice distilled grapes. Oh, okay. Um, is that so, like, dried, so that's super I, smooth? I don't know. I've never had, I only have only had Uzo and Arak once. I didn't like it. <laughs> I, you know, I don't mind it. I don't, I like stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I'll see if I can, I can find some just to have around the house and, and, but yeah, I, I, I really want to go once it opens back up. I feel like it's pretty easy to get to, especially from, from Europe. Any, everywhere flies this to, to, 
saw a grab or split or i feel like it's like one of those places that like ryanair used to fly to or easyjet used to fly to yeah lots of places uh, lots of airlines fly there and i think the thing about about croatia that i would i would say is that Zagreb is different from, you know, Opatia, which is different from Split, which is different from Havar. You know, it's such a diverse place. Some of, you know, and to try and get out to the islands, eat the seafood, it's a, it's a just a wonderful country, and 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 from Europe, super easy to get to. I kind of get the vibe that like Zagreb is like Madrid to Dubrovnik's Barcelona in the sense of like, you know. Zagreb being sort of landlocked and all the best stuff goes there, but it's less culturally tourist or, or, you know, sun and soak as, as Barcelona is sort of like the hippie, more relaxed vibe. Yeah, I think so. And now that we have um, at least temporarily removed from the earth, the scourge of the cruise ship, Dubrovnik uh, is, is coming back to life because it was, it was slowly being suffocated by, um, by coming perpetual cruise traffic so yeah. uh yeah get get in there um and and explore croatia because it's a it's a just a fantastic country absolutely and, and i remember you saying in the episode that back then it was 2018 uh still very affordable yeah 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 well it's it's surprisingly affordable i mean the hotel esplanade which is like a, a luxury old school hotel was like under 100 bucks a night wow um well, and Nick, Nick you know, Slumet. Well, yeah, I mean the <laughs> the the coast is going to be more expensive. It's more desirable, um, but yeah, I, I'm 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 a big fan of it. I went to Opatia for a speaking gig in an old abandoned tobacco factory, which was pretty crazy. I'll, I'll post some pictures on, uh, on on Twitter of that, and I I would never have gone there in a million years. But just wonderful, love it, absolutely love it. It's I, I want to get back there as soon as I can. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to film there a few years later. Yeah, in the right time as well. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely need to get to to hear your anybody else has been there. Uh, share your photos, your feedback, your thoughts on on any specific region within within the Croatia. But also, if you're in an area or have been to an area and you've heard some of these other dishes in in um, you know, uh, Turkey or, you know, Macedonia or wherever else in the, in the region that you may have heard them, just tell us what, how they're different and, and what the variations are there. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, next episode, uh, D have not given any thought, but we'll probably be doing it in two weeks. So let's find out. Yeah. We're going to have to think about that. If you got some suggestions, let us know. D mm. Mm, there's the some democratic ones, Republic of Korea. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know I, I have not been there. It's on the list. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to. It. If you got any any ideas, let us know. We 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 don't always want to go for the obvious ones, as I think was. Yeah, we need to venture outside of Europe sense. now. We've done. We do well. Australia's not in Europe, although they they do participate in Eurovision. Yeah, is... that's weird. That Eurovision is, is such a weird concept for out of, town, out of out of out of European people. It's it's whatever. Yeah. Anyway, getting back. Well, to the all right. So this is uh, I, this is probably part my favorite part of the show now that we're in season two, uh, where I get to say uh, until next time. Zavjelik. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>